Sylvia and me. Sylvia and Sylvia and me. Sylvia and Sylvia and me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full-service virtual gym that has reinvented the at-home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. I'm Sue Stewart-Smith. I'm a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist, and I'm the author of The Well-Gardened Mind. Welcome to Sylvia and Me. Sue, thank you so much. And I am so happy that you could be here today. And, and I'm very pleased to join you too. So for our audience, um, where are you located? Um, I live uh, just north of London, about 20 miles from the centre of London in a county called Hertfordshire, in a little pocket of countryside between three, between three towns. Okay. And as you said, you are the author of The well Garden Mind, and mm-hmm. it's a restorative power of nature. You delve into the restorative, restorative power of gardening and nature and mental well-being. Can you, why did you decide to write on this particular topic? I'm sure you have so much that you've um, you've experienced in being a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist. So why gardening? Why nature? Well, it's a very good question and an important one. Um, I mean, my, my professional background obviously played a part in it, but actually the earliest and biggest influence on me that inspired the book was the story of my grandfather, which I'd grown up hearing about. So he, he spent most of the First World War in a Turkish prisoner of war camp. And by the end of the war, when he was released and finally made it home, he was extremely malnourished. He was very traumatized uh, and he wasn't actually expected to live very long either. Uh, my grandmother nursed him very faithfully, uh, helped him regain his, his sort of basic strength. But, uh, but his trauma still stayed with him. And it was only through getting the opportunity to, to work on a horticultural rehabilitation project, which he did for a year, that he, that he really recovered his health more fully and his peace of mind. And that left him with a, with a lifelong love of gardening. He lived into his 70s. I was 12 when he died. And, um, and in particular, he cultivated orchids. He, he had a greenhouse and... And I discovered on researching the book that, um, that the garden where he'd done this training, uh, which really was a kind of therapy uh, that wasn't called therapy then, uh, had a lot of glass houses in it as well as vegetable beds. And, and I think that's where he discovered this love of growing exotic plants because there were clearly a lot, a lot of tender plants there as well. 
And so how did this affect you? And you're, cause I know you're an avid gardener. So how did this affect yeah. you? Well, I am an avid gardener now. I, I have to say that story lay rather sort of dormant in my mind. I think a bit like a sort of dormant seed. It, um, I didn't really, you know, I, I, it's one of those things you take in these stories about your childhood or during your childhood and then, you know, they're just part of you. Uh, and it's only much later on that I began to reconnect with it and, and actually to discover gardening. So I, in my mid twenties, I married uh, someone called Tom Stuart Smith, who was just setting out as a garden designer back then. He was a very knowledgeable plantsman. Uh, and he's gone on to have a very successful career. I mean, he's a, he's a celebrated garden designer now. And we, we started, about two years after we married, we started creating a garden around our, what was our new home then, which was a barn uh, in the middle of a field, uh, it was an agricultural field. And it was quite bare and quite exposed. And we, we, we set off on this journey, kind of about making a place. And I was a complete novice. I knew nothing about gardening. So I just, I sort of followed in his footsteps really. And th that was that, and that's where we live now. That's, so this, is, this has been our home, a garden that's actually gone on growing. You know, we, we've extended it over the last 30 years. So it's been a sort of lifelong project. But about five years after we began, I decided I wanted to have a little patch of my own to experiment in and that for me was the beginning of my real my own personal connection with growing plants so i i set up a little tiny little herb garden i was very very keen on cooking and that the excitement of growing all these different herbs and particularly germinating uh plants from seed hooked me into gardening and and then gradually over the years that followed particularly as I got further in my training, I was taking on greater professional responsibilities, um, I began to also realize that the, the sort of some of the simple tasks involved in gardening, particularly things like weeding or watering, um, you know, they, 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 they can be very calming. They have a sort of meditative effect on you. If you let them, if you get, you get involved in them in that way, you know, if you don't try and rush your way through them, and, and I began to sort of recognize the benefit of that for myself. So all, all these things, I think, at different levels sort of contributed to wanting to write the book. Um, and, and I think that, the, you know, the last thing really was, was a sort of growing awareness in more recent years in my professional life of, of the kind of mounting um, mental health problems that we're facing you know, the, the rising levels of anxiety and depression and, and that gardening could actually offer a lot of people something potentially um, that was, that, you know, that was missing from their lives because we, we have generally become so disconnected from nature. Yes, we have. And as you and I talked before, you did the research on this book prior to the pandemic. And we are in a pandemic situation right now. It just so happens that we are, you and I are talking, we're taping this in the summer, but we're also going to be going into the fall, which I do want to get into in just a little bit. But 
for right now, I'd like to, if you could, what kind of research did you do? What were you looking at to see um, how planting a garden and watching it grow, whether it be flowers, plants, whether it be vegetables and herbs, um, how did you go about doing this and what exactly were you looking for? Um, I think, I don't know that I was looking for anything because I set off in a very kind of exploratory way. I actually started um, writing the book and researching it about more than five years ago. So it's been a long time in the making. And, and I traveled to quite a lot of projects in different countries, actually. Different projects that specialized in different aspects of uh, therapeutic gardening, whether that be mental health projects, prisons, um, addiction projects, uh, projects for at-risk youth, uh, uh, projects helping people who are suffering from depression and anxiety, uh, as well as older people. So, so I, I, covered a lot of, I covered a lot of ground, actually. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that was because when I looked at many of the things that have been written about gardening, I found that, that um, some, some, sometimes it just felt a bit like, you know, to say, we can say things like gardening gives people hope, but I wanted to understand how it gives people hope, what it is that actually does that. So I wanted to explore and hear from people how, how it had helped them in a personal way. Okay. It was a very, it was a very, very moving at times. And, um, an enlightening process. I learned a huge amount. And so, some of the people I interviewed feature, feature in the book. Um, but I suppose every, every project I visited, every person I interviewed also kind of fed into it. Well, uh, one, of, one of the things that you discovered was the socioeconomic inequalities. Can you um, tell us, I know that you went into prisons. Um, you mm -hmm. went into, as you said, you went into inner cities. So why don't you uh, give us a couple of examples? I know you did, uh, I was going to say you did a stint at Rikers. No, you did a, a research project at Rikers Island, one of the very well-known uh, prisons in, in New York. What, uh, what did you find out there? Um, yes, visiting Rikers was, was really fascinating, actually. And I think what it, what it well, I learned many things from that visit, but what was most striking was the power of gardening to help help people who feel um, who feel very lost in life and who've who've never never had any form of success or encouragement um, and who've who've perhaps despaired actually of being able to do anything worthwhile or being able to change their lives. So, for example. One of the prisoners I interviewed had been in and out of jail many times, uh, but this was the first time that he'd, he'd enrolled on, on the horticulture program there, which is run by the HORT, the New York Society of, for Horticulture. And, and for him, the, the, the business of, of harvesting the squash plants that he had helped grow was, was, was so... Um, uh, it, it gave him such a sense of achievement, actually. This, sim this you know, simple thing, really. 
Um, and he'd been able to, it was the first positive conversation he'd had with his mother on the telephone, was telling her about, about the squash plants. And, and that, that really gave him a bit of a sense of belief that, that, that perhaps something could change. And, and I think what, one of the things we know about for people who are in prison is that if, if they feel nothing, nothing is going to go right for them, and, and, and it's so difficult to make things go right for you, when you when you have when you do come out of prison, um, because people you know because the label that's on you and the lack of opportunities that there are, um, but that actually through working with the earth, uh, people can come to feel a bit more empowered and as if as if as if you know some some kind of um, uh, repair in life might be possible. You know, that I think the, the regenerative powers of nature are really important to us at quite a deep psychological level. You know, they help us give belief in, in, um, in, in you know, in, in, in the future, actually. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that applies in all kinds of crisis, in all kinds of situations where people are in some kind of extremists, I think. Well, you also went into some of the inner cities. What did you see there? Um, well, one, one of the projects I visited was in Chicago, was a, a project run by the Chicago Botanic Garden for at-risk youth. And, and again, you know, the, these, these, were, these were kids who'd, who'd, never, who'd never had contact with the earth. Um, and for some of them, it was a very strange experience to begin with. But quite quickly, you know, they, 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 you know, they, 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 they got enormous satisfaction from working together and also eating together and sharing the produce and, and generally sort of becoming much more kind of hopeful and connected um, and feeling, you know, I, th I, feel, I don't know, feeling that there's a way forward. I think that's, that's the important thing. And, and in a context like that, a garden, creates a safe environment, which is very precious. Uh, you know, this is the same for people suffering from trauma. You know, a lot of the therapeutic power of a garden comes from the, the feeling of physical safety within it. And that in that kind of setting, people can relax their guard. You know, on the streets, you have to be vigilant all the time in, in, in a lot of urban, a lot, lot of parts of a city. Um, but within a garden, that's very different. And actually, once you enter into that kind of state, you can begin to take in new experiences. You can begin to learn. Um, and so it, it helps people in so many, so many different ways. You know, it's not just the act of gardening. It's the whole context and the setting that you provide. And, and as well as the, you know, the producing food um, and being yes. able to eat, eat more healthily. And also being able to create something and see it grow and see it yeah. see it flourish because of something that that you've actually done um, that you feel. I think I think yeah I think that's very very important that feeling of creativity, and gardening gives us a very accessible way of doing that, and people often feel you know if you're a newcomer to gardening you can feel uh, it's a strange world of plants you know. And, and, and be very unsure about what you're doing and frightened of failure. But provided you start with relatively simple things, um, <laughs> you know, th there's not a huge amount that can go wrong. 
and and it and it and it you know it is it gives you this within months really within weeks sometimes you know you're seeing the fruits of your efforts and that that is that is enormously helpful you know wh whether that's for anxiety depression um trauma you know feeling just feeling adrift in life it, it gives it can give well, I find it myself too at times, you know, you, it gives you a bit of, um, tr I don't know, a sort of traction on life. You sort of feel you've, you've, you've shaped a bit of your environment, you've contributed. Okay, so now let's go to what we're going through right now, which mm -hmm. um, we're going to be going through for, for quite some time. Yeah. We're yeah. Going, living through a yeah. pandemic. We yeah. have no idea um what what the new normal is going to be if there's a new normal uh many many people are feeling traumatized and also there are many many people who cannot uh don't have the space to actually garden outside yeah. what yeah. would you suggest uh people do we're, we're as i said we are you and i are talking uh it's summertime now and there are still people who can't really, yes, they can go out, but they might live in apartments. They might live in very urban yeah. areas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would you suggest for someone to do now? And then we're talking about fall as much as, as far as I'm concerned, summer's around the corner always, because I don't particularly like winter time. But you know, during the nice weather, we're able to go outside even if we don't have a garden inside, we can maybe mm. take a look at some beautiful things that are outside. Mm. So advice or what could you suggest? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Okay, there's quite a lot to, lot to cover there. I mean, I think the first, the first thing is that the pandemic has really revealed how much we need nature for our mental health. And that's, you know, as you say, when I wrote the book before, um, and it's been quite, uh, quite salutary, really, um, to see so many of the things that I've written about, particularly the research that's, you know, there's been a lot of research in the last few decades into the health benefits of nature and, and nature connection. And to see our need for that writ large at the start of the pandemic was really striking, you know, that the, the, the certainly in the UK and I gather in, in the US as well, you know, there was a great rush to the garden centers. Um, they could barely keep up with the demand. Uh, people were sowing seeds, you know, and, and, and seeds are, you know, seeds have a, have a future written into them, you know. Uh, they give you, they just give you that sense of something good to look forward to. So at a time when everything was closing down, when there was terrible fear and uncertainty, you know, these simple, simple acts, um, gave people a psychological lifeline and and nature's continued to do that for many people you know through I, I you know there's been a, a you have to look on social media to see how much people are posting about things they've seen on their walks or um, you know bird watching for example has grown enormously in popularity uh, as well as gardening and and certainly people who have gardens have been appreciating them much much more than ever before Very you know and, and i and it and it's revealed to us how you know a garden or access to green space really shouldn't be a luxury it, it is vital for health that we have that um you know we evolved our species evolved in in nature 
and we are primed in various ways to respond to natural settings or certain aspects of them and in particular the amount of greenery that's around us um, you know we, you know research tells us that this lowers our blood pressure reduces cortisol um, so all, all these things um, help you know and and can make a huge difference and I know this is going out in the fall and I think the fall is, you know, we, we, we're recording this when we don't know quite how bad things will be. So it's difficult, but I think whatever, whatever happens, I think it's going to be hard in the fall. And I, I think what's crucial is to keep up that contact actually with nature in one form or another, whether that's through bringing plants inside the house, you know, house plants, pot plants, growing things on a windowsill, cut flowers actually can make a huge difference um, there have been many studies that show they reduce people's feelings of depression and anxiety and certainly in hospital patients having a view of nature a view of a tree or having a plant uh, reduces stress and anxiety and and leads to less need for pain relief so, so all these things tell us that these are important things to do and I still, you know, however bad the weather is, I think it's important to get outside if you can. And when you do get outside, to actually connect with whatever nature there is around you, the trees, um, if there's any birds, you know, hopefully, you know, one, one bonus of the autumn might be that the parks are a bit less crowded. So, so it might be a bit easier to kind of, to, to walk more freely. I don't know, I mean, you know, we, we don't know, what, what it's going to be like at this stage um, and I think it's also worth adding that, that uh, studies have shown that virtual nature doesn't have this quite the same level of benefit but it can have uh, the same anxiety reducing and um, mood boosting effects so we're talking about things like watching videos of nature listening to birdsong for instance listening to running water all these, all these, all these kind of um, sensory stimuli uh, are very helpful to us, and you know, the research shows that they they help shift us. They help shift the brain to a more relaxed state of being, which involves uh, our alpha alpha waves in the brain, and those those in turn are associated with a release of serotonin, the, the mood boosting. Um, neurotransmitter serotonin so, so I, I want to go all, back all to things are kind of reasons to keep up keep up i, I want to go back to one simple thing that you said before um you know we talked about there are people who either live in apartments or live in in areas where there isn't it, there's no little ledge there's no little something for them to put something out but you talked about even just a small house plant or uh, uh, taking the seedling of something and, and something that can grow in a small uh, plant inside, that that in itself could help. Yes, it can. And there are studies that kind of, that, that, would, that confirm that. Um, for example, studies in um, care homes for the elderly that have shown, uh, you know, having, having a plant to look after and, and having sort of, as much sort of green vegetation sort of in the home, you know, plants and things. I have to say some of them have included pets as well, which are also very, very helpful and very important. Um, 
but that these these have been shown to again what i said earlier you know with hospital patients reduce the need for medication improve mental health and increase uh longevity as well so so i think you know we can't underestimate the the impact of this it's not you know contact with nature can't protect us from suffering there's no getting away from that but it can help us manage stress it, it seems to have a sort of buffering effect uh on on us and and that's that can be invaluable when you, you know when you're in a situation in which you're you're helpless and there's not much you can do about your circumstances this is this is one thing that you can do so I know that in your book, you did tell some stories of people that you met um, uh, during this. What is one of the most uplifting? Uh, you talked about the, the, the uh, prisoner in Rikers. Um, what about when you were in uh, some of the inner cities? What is, what you describe uh, one of the most uplifting stories of you know, someone that you met? Yes, I could talk about Grace, who appears in the book, actually, who had become um, really pretty much housebound through, uh, through anxiety, anxiety and depression and uh, ag agoraphobia. And as a last resort, she agreed to attend uh, a horticultural project. And she expected to get almost nothing out of it. She'd never gardened. And, and so she went into it very, very skeptical. But almost immediately she realized that within this setting, you know, I spoke earlier about the safety of the setting, that the peace of the garden, you know, just, just gave her a kind of feeling of relaxation that she had not had for a very, very long time. Um, at the beginning, you know, the, 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 the horticultural therapists were, yeah, horticultural therapists are very, very good usually at kind of reading what stage people are at and what they're ready to do. Um, and she was just allowed just to be in nature, not to have to garden, not to have to do anything. And she did that for some time and then, and then began to sort of notice what other people were doing, what the groups were doing together and decided she wanted to get involved and have a go. And, and then she began to get into gardening. So I interviewed her after she'd been attending the project for a year and she'd just signed up to do a second year. And, and she said to me sort of, you know, it, one thing she described was it gives me a whole new feeling when I'm here. And, and you know, her mental health was much, much better. She, at the beginning, when she first started attending, she couldn't walk to the shops on her own along, along her local street. She needed someone to accompany her. But she was able to do that uh, by the end. And, and on top of that, she, she, she just began to experience a sort of a feeling of joy, actually, in life. Um, little glimpses of it uh, and, and, a, and a real feeling of satisfaction. But, but, but also um, what she also found, and I think this is a very important effect as well. You know, she only attended the project one morning a week. But, but actually what she found after a few months was when she was at home, if she began to get anxious, she could think herself back into the garden. So she'd internalize this space and, and just imagining herself in the garden helped calm her anxiety. That's a great story. So 
gardening. Um, so if you had one message in just a few words to, to leave with everyone, what would that be? I think, I think it's, I think it's actually something that, well, it's something I mentioned a bit earlier about if you're walking, let's say you haven't got a garden, if you're walking out in nature, um, you know, don't just plug your headphones in um, and zone out and, you know, spend at least some of the time, you know, um, really, really connecting with what's around you, you know, allowing, allowing your senses to sort of perceive, you know, whether that's the, the clouds in the sky or the light on the leaves in the trees, uh, just allow, allow yourself to connect with it. And that's, you know, we're talking about mindfulness, really. But mindfulness in nature is, seems to be very, it's a very powerful form of mindfulness. And, and I would say the same to people who garden, because I think, you know, sometimes it's something that happened to me actually at a certain stage in my gardening, and I had to learn it was just to slow down sometimes. I could get so uh, caught up, because I had a busy, busy working life as well, but I could get so caught up in the jobs that needed doing, um, you know, and, and I would go around sort of, you know, noticing the weeds and, um, you know, so, so just always being in kind of doing mode, getting tasks, you know, getting things done. And, and actually just having those moments when, when, you, when you just don't do anything, you either, walk through the garden or just allow yourself to sit and and really take it in is enormously important well so this has been great i i love the fact that it doesn't have to be anything huge that people can actually get something out of this just by having even just a little plant or or opening up their minds uh, and eyes to what's mm. around. Mm. Yeah. So uh, where can people find more information about you? What is your website? I have a website. It's, it's just my name, suestuartsmith.com. Um, and I'm at suestuartsmith on Twitter and Instagram. So people can find me there. Well, so the Well Garden Mind, um, it does have restorative mental health um, benefits. It's fantastic. I thank you so much for, for being with me today. This has been very, very um, informative and uh, delightful. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Sylvia. <laughs> My pleasure. Today's podcast is sponsored by Upper Deck, the national full service virtual gym that has reinvented the at home workout experience. Upper Deck has more than 30 strength and cardio classes a week. Named Best Fitness Club in the Gold Coast for 2020, Upper Deck brings the gym to you with live coaching and motivation. Upper Deck's unique classes are interactive. They have two coaches, one leading your workout and one keeping her eyes on you, providing feedback and encouragement in real time. For a free week of unlimited virtual classes with no strings attached, email info at UpperDeckFitness.com and let Upper Deck know you're a Sylvia and me listener. Thank you for joining me today. On our next podcast, I'll be talking to another extraordinary, inspiring woman who has made her mark on the world. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, our website, sylviaandme.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to keep up with the latest episodes. Review, rate, and take us with you wherever you are. 
I want to hear from you. If you know of an extraordinary, inspiring woman, please contact me at sylvia at lifeofprey.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe. This has been a Life of Prey production.